Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Shore Baptist Church's podcast. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm so thrilled that you have decided to tune in this week. I certainly hope that today's message will be both encouraging to you, but also I pray that it will be convicting. You can find out more about our church by visiting www.myesbc.net. God bless you and look forward to seeing you soon at church. Walking up to a department store's fabric counter, an attractive woman said to the gentleman, the clerk, she said, I want to buy this material for a new dress. How much does it cost? And the gentleman replied with a smile on his face. He said, it only costs one kiss per yard. Not to be taken back by the harassment, the woman said, that's fine, I'll, I'll take 10 yards of the fabric then. With expectation and anticipation written all over his face, the clerk hurriedly measured out and wrapped the cloth and then, headed, and then held it out, excuse me, teasingly leaning forward to receive his payment. The woman snapped up the package and pointed to the little old man standing beside her and said, Grandpa will pay as she smiled. (laughs) Tis the season of giving. Hopefully you will receive some good gifts this Christmas season, even if it is but a kiss from Grandpa. I hope you and your families enjoy this Christmas season. Christmas is my absolute favorite time of year. My wife will tell you I get very ambitious about about October. Uh, I want to start putting up Christmas stuff all over my house. I'm one of those types of people that many of you dislike. It's at this time of year we focus on gifts. We give gifts because, as the video said, Jesus was the very first gift to all of mankind. We focus on gifts because of the Magi. If you remember, the Magi came. The very first thing they did was they gave Jesus gifts. We give gifts to remind us, by the way, of the sacrifice of giving a gift. That we work, we earn a wage, we take those wages, and we then... Uh, reallocate those to buy gifts for other people. It's a reminder of sacrifice. And this morning, we're starting a five-week series entitled The Gift. We'll be focusing on the most unbelievable gift to all of mankind, the gift of Christ. Christ offers us so many things this Christmas season, and I want to try to focus this morning on the chapter of John chapter 1 to express all those gifts that we get. For most, Christmas is a joyful time. For others, the holidays are a reminder of what once was. We are reminded about all the people that are gone and the empty chairs around the dinner table and well, that's, I want to, to discover in God's word a, a, an opportunity to renew our Christmas spirit as we see the glorious gifts of Christ to each and every one of us. Today, Jesus is offering you and me the gift of life. It's this physical gift of animation, but it's also a spiritual gift of renewal. And so this morning, if you want to fill in these blanks with me, the very top of your outline, Jesus offers us life that is peaceful. He offers us life that is joyful. And he also offers us life that is purposeful. We can find our purpose in Christ. As you open up your Bibles to John chapter 1, I want to 
give to you some context, I suppose, of the entire gospel narrative. It's the last gospel penned after several years. It comes several years after the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It was written several years after that. And like the rest of the gospels, John covered the events of Jesus' birth, his death, his teachings, his works, and the plan of God for the redemption of all mankind. John wrote, by the way, to a church that was in turmoil, where the first generation of witnesses and Christians were dying out, and a new generation of believers were beginning to take over. He was filling in the gaps to give more evidence to a, to a detail to prove that Jesus was the Son of God. And more, he is the one true Lord, the Creator, and the Messiah, the eternal God, who is the Lord. And yet the quintessential example of loving, or excuse me, of living for God's glory and humble service. The main theme, by the way, of the Gospel of John is purely evangelical. He wants us to believe or trust in Jesus Christ as our only way, our only doorway, our only opportunity to heaven and to knowing his Father. He is the logos, which you'll read here in just a moment. That's the Greek for word. He is the word, the eternal God creator and redeemer who left the magnificence of heaven to come and dwell with us in the dirt. Of earth. And so let's read this morning from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, In the beginning was the Word, that being Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. And that's where, we'll, where we will stop this morning, at the very beginning of verse Four, Jesus gives life, if you want to fill in this first Roman numeral blank, Jesus gives life because Jesus is eternally awesome. Jesus is eternally awesome. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus has always existed and will continue to exist as long as there is a future. As El Olam, he is known as the everlasting God. The Hebrew name Olam means forever, perpetual, old, ancient, implying that there is an infinite future and an infinite past to Jesus. To give you some scripture this morning, Psalm chapter 90, verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The principles of the laws of nature, the beginning of time, and the first existence of this world are all a result of God, the creator, who possesses never-ending wisdom and power. He was before all time and all worlds. For those who are interested in systematic theology, there is a tremendous book by Wayne Grudem entitled Creatively Systematic Theology. And he talks about a very heady topic. He calls it God's infinity with respect to time notion. 
It almost sounds kind of Avengers-esque, doesn't it? Where he says this, God has no beginning, no end, or succession of moments in his own being, and he sees time, all time, equally vividly. Yet God sees events in time and acts in time. This doctrine teaches us that Time does not limit Jesus or change Jesus in any way. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If Bill and Ted were here, they would say, Jesus is totally awesome, dude. According to several national surveys, millennials, who I just missed out on the millennial generation by just a couple years, says this, that millennials are more than twice as likely as previous generations to rate themselves as gifted, special, talented, and likely to change the world. Much has been made of these surveys. Perhaps this is just what, what I think youthful arrogance looks like in every generation. Chances are my generation felt the same way about themselves and probably your generation felt the same way about y'all's selves. Or perhaps millennials are just overly self-confident. Who, who knows? I do know one thing about every generation, including my own and including millennials. You're not as awesome as you think you are, but Jesus is. You're not as awesome as you think you are, but Jesus is. When it comes to what makes someone awesome which means inspiring or overwhelmingly this feeling of awe-inducing reverence and admiration or fear, you don't have it. And neither do I. No one does. There is nothing that I have ever possessed or accomplished that makes God think, how impressive. <laughs> There's nothing I've ever done that has ever amazed God. And God sees me the way that I really am. Not the self-important, self-focused, inflated ego version of me or you, but the real you in all of our unawesomeness, if that's a word. We're just not awesome. Jesus, though, is the only way out of our spiral of death in which we feel all of our unawesomeness and then despair and try to cover it up with self-defeating flattery and praise. That's where most of us are. That's because the message of the Bible is essentially this. You are not awesome in any way, shape, or form, but Jesus is. His undeserved love, his complete justice, his perfect obedience, his tender compassion, his utter hatred of evil, and his radical commitment to good is truly an awesome thing. And amazingly, Jesus loves, Jesus, Jesus' love for us and his willingness to forgive us, cleanse us, and reunite us to the God that we've turned away from is not based on anything that we can earn or anything that we've ever accomplished. It's offered us freely as a gift, which is also awesome. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, this awesome gift of God, is eternal life with Christ Jesus our Lord. So do you know what that means this morning? Do you know what this means? 
How well you sing doesn't matter. How good you look, and I look really good, but it doesn't matter. Why are you laughing? How many friends or followers you have on social media, your relationship status, your intelligence or lack thereof, your successful Etsy account, none of it matters. Those things don't make you awesome if you have them or do them well. God is not impressed with any of it and neither should we. And here's why this is such good news. Since having certain things or doing certain things can never impress God, then now we have nowhere to turn except for the one who earned God's approval for us. That's the point of the gospel. We are not awesome, but Jesus is. Jesus gives life because he's eternally awesome, but he's also exceptionally artistic. He's exceptionally artistic. Look at what it says in verse 3 as we continue to break down John 1. He says this, all things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. As the eternal God, we must acknowledge the fact that God created all things and that he himself is an immortal spirit. Before the creation of the universe, there was no matter, but then God created all things. Before there was anything, there was nothing. And God created everything from nothing. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Go on to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Again, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, the him being Jesus, who is awesome. Scripture explains That all things, things that we can see and things that we can't see in the entire universe were created through the same Jesus who John calls the eternal word. We may think of the universe and its intricate design as being conceived in the mind of the Father, then spoken into existence by the Son who makes the invisible visible. The Holy Spirit is the one who energizes and supplies the life of the creation, not only at the time of creation, but by moment after moment after that. We are literally being held together because of Jesus today. Right now, the very molecules in our bloodstream that make us who we are are being knitted together by Jesus' might and power and awesomeness. The study of physics tells us that Matter, time, and space must all occur together. They all have to happen all at once. Without matter, there can neither be space nor time. Therefore, time, the succession of moments one after another, did not exist before God created the universe. But before there was a universe or time, God always existed without being influenced by time. Jesus is exceptionally artistic. He is a powerful, creative force in the universe. Not only did he create all things and speak all things into existence, he also holds all things, meaning me and you, together. You know, that's not bad for a kid who was born in a barn. Our moment-by-moment existence depends on his gracious sustenance. Every atom Every molecule, every spiritual entity right now 
is held together by Jesus. We, we are safe when we place our trust in him and to put our whole lives into his hands. Can we not then stand in awe of God and the creator? Listen to what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. He says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Make, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to his presence with thanksgiving. Let's make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea, listen to what the sea is. The sea is hid, is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Man, what a great verse. Hello? Sorry. Somebody heard that. I'm like, I agree. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. Don't, I don't know who that was, but don't you hate it when that happens? That is the worst. <laughs> I've been there before. No judgments. No judgments. The pastor was very kind today on Facebook. You'll see that. Somebody's writing that right now on Facebook. Get off of Facebook. You should be listening to me. Okay. Roman numeral three. <laughs> Jesus gives life because he's eternally awesome. He's exceptionally artistic. He's eminently all-powerful. He's eminently all-powerful. John chapter one, verse three, all things were made through him, all things. And without him, not, or without him was not anything made that was made. John chapter five, verse 18, listen to what this says. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Scripture is clear, by the way. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus' message to the Jews was that God was his father, and they often claimed equality with God. In Jesus' own words, he states that he and the Father are one. So what does that mean for me and you today? It means that Jesus is all-powerful. John even states that without him, not anything made was made. Jesus is omnipotent. This means that Jesus is everything. Omni-everything. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. While he was on earth as a man... His superhuman power was recognized, maybe not often by man, but certainly by everything else on earth. The elements of nature obeyed his simple words, peace be still. And Jesus firmly claimed, and all authority in heaven and on earth was given to him. And Jesus' presence is wherever he wants it to be. Advocates of the kenosis theory, which is, again, kind of a heady thing you talk about in seminary, they argue that, that while Jesus was a man, he was limited to a physical location while he was on planet Earth, meaning that 
2,000 years ago, Jesus was man. Therefore, he had divested himself of everything that made him a deity. So that Jesus could only, he was like me. He was like, Stuart, I, I'm, I can only be here. I can't be uh, in my office at the same time. Now, I'll be honest with you, that's complete heresy. It's not true. He's omnipotent. He can be wherever he wants to be all at once. He didn't have to limit himself. And Jesus says in John 3, verse 13, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that come down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. He said that while he was on planet earth. And Jesus is everywhere all at once, even when he was living amongst us some 2,000 years ago. He's also omniscient. This means that he has all knowledge. First Chronicles 28 verse 9 says of God that he searches all the hearts and understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. In Acts 15 verse 8, he is described as knowing the heart of man. Literally meaning the knower of hearts. This is said of Jesus in John chapter 2 verse 23. The deity who knows all things. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 20. It follows that since Jesus, Jesus was deity before, during, and after his time on earth, he has all knowledge. He did, never divested himself of any uh, deified attribute. He knew the hearts of men. He knew it was being discussed from far off when his presence wasn't even there. Peter recognized the attribute of Jesus when he exclaimed, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. He said that in John chapter 21, verse 17. Jesus, this unbelievably powerful person, being who was born in a barn, knows everything, is everywhere all at once, and is all powerful. Why is this a big deal? Why am I even talking about that this morning? Because, brothers and sisters, this all-powerful, omni-everything Jesus loves you and has great affections for you today. You're on his mind and heart every second of every day. He is aware of your problems, your cares about, he cares about your circumstances. He longs to have a relationship with you and he sprints after you. Jesus is a fixed place on the map of our spiritual life. And when we run after him, he longs for us to come back. Your problems will not knock him off his throne or intimidate him. Jesus is not just all powerful. He's all powerful for you. Jesus is eternally awesome. He is exceptionally artistic. He is eminently all powerful. In verse 4, he is extremely alive. He is extremely alive. John chapter 1 verse 4, the very first part says this, in him was life. In him was life. There is a story told of an artist who sculpted a beautiful angel and wanted the master artist, Michelangelo, to inspect it and offer his opinion of it. So Michelangelo was called in, and the master artist carefully looked at the sculpture from every angle. He walked around, and finally he said, well, it only lacks one thing. And then Michelangelo turned and walked out of the room, never allowing the sculptor to know what one thing it was missing. 
the artist didn't know what it lacked, and he was embarrassed to go and ask Michelangelo, so he sent a friend to Michelangelo's studio to try to find out what, indeed, his statue had lacked. And the great artist replied, it only lacks one thing. It lacks life. It lacks life. The same, by the way, can be said of a lot of people. They have a house. They have a car, a nice car, maybe even a cool van. Why are y'all laughing? I have a cool van. I like my van a lot. They have a wonderful spouse. They have kids. They have a career. They've got money in the bank. They have everything going the way that things ought to supposedly walk out in life. And you would think that that person who has all of those things has life to the fullest, and yet there's always one thing lacking. They don't have life. How can you have, how can you have people that have trappings of life not have life? And Jesus has something to say about it. And in John's gospel, he tells us that what our lives ought to be about. Listen to what he says in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus was contrasting what he offers with what the devil offers. The thief mentioned here speaks of the enemy of our soul, Satan. He comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Christ has come that we may have life and that we may have it abundant. And there is a choice of what kind of life we want. I was recently reading about the four stages of life. Have you heard this? The four stages of life. And they start out as such. The first stage is lemonade. It's a good stage. The second stage is Gatorade. The third stage is Medicaid. And the last stage is hearing aid. Some of y'all don't need to be laughing. Life changes really quick. Isn't it great that while things, things seem to decline here on earth, that Jesus offers us new life every single day? He offers you new life daily. While things on us seem to break down physically with Jesus, we have this new spiritual life being renewed each and every day. And Jesus claims in Scripture that anyone who hears his message and obeys his message will have life. Jesus claims to be the bread of life, the living water, the light of life. The Bible tells us that in Jesus we have our own life, our breath, our being. One of the things I love most about Christmas time is I am reminded that Jesus came to earth Earth, born of a virgin, born in a barn to give me life. Everlasting, eternal life for me. He came to awaken a dead spirit and a closed eyes. Jesus in all of his power, in all of his majesty, in all of his awesomeness came for me and for you with forgiveness and grace in his hands. Friends, this morning I want to ask you a really important question. Do you know the Jesus that I'm talking about this morning? 
Do you know the Jesus, the eternally awesome, the exceptionally artistic, the eminently all-powerful, and the extremely alive Jesus that I'm talking about today? This Jesus that desires to know you, he runs after you, is not afraid of your problems, holds all things together, and offers you grace and mercy and forgiveness and wholeness and purposefulness all through his cross. Do you know that Jesus today? Have you allowed that Jesus to transform your life? Have you asked that Jesus to step into your dark soul and say, Jesus, save me? Have you done that? Because now is the great time to do it. You don't know what will happen to you when you walk out of those doors today. In Romans chapter 8, verse 10, if Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. What an awesome gift to start thinking about right now at the very beginning of Christmas to know that Jesus came not to take anything away from you, but to give you everything. He came to give us life.